first reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the, la the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God! Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. I do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ask is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word. We ask that it be proclaimed and heard today according to your will. May nothing but your word be spoken here and nothing but your word be heard. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Please be seated. So every year at Advent, we invite John the Baptist back into our lives. He's a strange guest for the holiday season. In fact, he might be the worst party guest ever. He always ignores the dress code for your Christmas party. All your animal-loving friends are offended by his attire. He won't eat anything you serve him. His dietary restrictions are really difficult to adapt to. Worst of all, he's just terrible at making normal party conversation. He never makes a joke. He never laughs at anybody else's jokes. He's serious. He's a downer. John only brings up the controversial topics, religion and morality. Worse, He calls people names. Once, he called your fussy and judgmental neighbors a brood of vipers. They never wanted to come to your house again. In an age where everything about Christmas has been relentlessly commercialized, there are no action figures or plushies of John the Baptist. There is no market for a locust-eating agitator dressed in camel's hair. So why do we keep inviting him back year after year? The lectionary devotes half of Advent, two whole weeks, to readings about John the Baptist. Today's text reminds us why. As Fleming Rutledge put it, Advent starts in the darkness. It starts in the wilderness. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, His is the voice crying in the wilderness. John is literally in the wilderness. He's in the desert to the east of Jerusalem and west of the Dead Sea. He isn't from this desert region. He grew up in a priestly family, probably was part of an elite community in Jerusalem. So he went on purpose from the biggest and most important city in all Judea, into a barren, uninhabited desert. His location is a part of his message. Advent begins in the wilderness. And what is John's message? What's the wilderness is in Genesis 12. God tells Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
he commands Abram to go to the wilderness. From the very beginning of the story of God's people, the wilderness is isolation, it's separation from family and from community. Are we also separated and isolated? We have all been quite recently. I was in quarantine with my family, separated from society. Many of you were even more isolated, quarantining alone. But we were all isolated long before COVID. We have a pandemic of loneliness in our cities throughout the world, afflicting both young and the elderly. Mother Teresa wrote decades ago that the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, uncared for. Are you alone in the wilderness today? Even the people of Judah understood where they really were. They went out from Jerusalem and from Judah and all the Jordan to the desert to hear John the Baptist. The wilderness was their true spiritual location. It is our location as well. Throughout the Old Testament, the word wilderness evokes sin, the disobedience of the people of Israel. The Hebrew title of the book of Numbers is In the Wilderness. In Numbers 14, the people of God refused to enter their appointed promised land. They wandered in the wilderness for the next 40 years. In the prophets, God's judgment is described over and over again as a return to the wilderness. Isaiah laments to God, Your cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. The wilderness is a reminder of human limitation, failure, and sin. To paraphrase the novelist Marilyn Robinson, some of us are a wilderness unto ourselves. So John's wilderness is not a party venue. The wilderness is deprivation, decay, destruction. The third century church father Origen describes John's message in this way. He is preaching in the desert of the soul that has known no peace. In this desert of the soul, we have a decision to make. We can stay or we can leave. There are at least four possibilities, three secular options and a fourth, the option preached by John in our text today. <clears throat> the first option is to stay in the wilderness and say, oh, it's not that bad here. One man's hell is another man's paradise. It's all in your mind. This is denial. It's a refusal to see how dark and desperate the human condition really is. The second secular option is to stay and say, our world is absurd and full of pain, but we're stuck in it. This is all there is. What else did you expect? This is more honest but it gives no comfort at all. This nihilism, and it is hopeless. The third secular response says, 
You have the power. We have the power to leave the wilderness on our own. You can make your own oasis. You create your own utopia. It's the message of human progress. In this secular self-help gospel, you just need to acquire better habits. You take a course. You learn some better coping techniques. And you'll be more than fine. You will be your best self ever. Will mindfulness and self-imaging, will those things take us out of the wilderness? In fact, these secular optimists say, as a society, we have been getting better and better and better for centuries through reason and science. Steven Pinker is a psychologist and a professor at Harvard, Law School, Harvard University. In his recent book, Enlightenment Now, he wonders whether war may be just another obstacle an enlightened species learns to overcome, just like pestilence, hunger, and poverty. Forget about poverty in the global south. Can we even eradicate poverty in affluent Toronto? We can't even get out of the 401, let alone get out of the wilderness and eradicate poverty. Even when we make some headway, no human progress has ever been made without great human cost. The Industrial Revolution was accompanied by labor and environmental abuses. Globalization comes with colonization. And can reason explain war in the Ukraine, in Myanmar, in Afghanistan? Humans have inflicted suffering on one another throughout history. In her penultimate diary entry, just before she's captured by the Nazi Gestapo, Anne Frank writes, I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness. Have we been getting out of the wilderness? Or are we just rearranging the sand in our desert? None of these secular options see the wilderness for what it really is. None of them can get us out. But today in Matthew 3, John the Baptist proclaims a fourth option. Repent. Christ is coming. Christ has come. Not another great leader or prophet, but God, God himself. Prepare the way of the Lord, a highway for God. Christ, fully man and fully God, has come into our human darkness, despair, into the wilderness to carry us out. Only God can deliver us from the wilderness. Not denial, not nihilism, not scientific progress, only the gospel of the incarnate Christ. John the Baptist isn't a party pooper. He's inviting us to Jesus' party. Throughout the Old Testament, God sees and saves his people in the wilderness over and over again. The desert is a place of deprivation and need. There's no water, no food, no shelter. In the desert, God feeds his people manna. He gives them water from a rock. Matthew 3.3 is a quotation from Isaiah 40. We just heard it read today. 
The prophet speaks to a people in the wilderness of exile in Babylon. And he says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Cry to my people that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. He's saying, God is coming. He will utterly transform your lives and this world. This is the turning point of the entire book of Isaiah. 39 chapters of visions of judgment and chapter 40, the promise of full restoration and redemption of the world. So John is telling us, God will comfort us. Christ is coming. In the very next chapter of Matthew, Christ is also led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Every single thing that John says and does points to Christ. According to Matthew, the very first words that Jesus ever preached when he begins his ministry are exactly the same as John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John walks before Jesus and points to Jesus, the one who is far greater, who is coming after. John, in his death, points to the death of Christ on the cross. The cross is how God saves us from the wilderness. Our iniquity is pardoned because Christ has borne the weight of all of our sins. The complete fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, of all prophecy, is in Christ alone. To understand John, then, we must read him in light of the Old Testament, the history and promises of God's divine plan for our salvation and the restoration of all creation. When we read John's call to repentance together with the prophets, we discover it is a call of return. Repent. Turn away from your idols and return to the Lord. The message of Isaiah is that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone in his own way. And then God declares then through John, the last of the prophets, turn to me and be saved. I am your God. There is no other. Return to the Lord. He is our comfort and our peace. So when John, when our Christ preaches repentance, they are inviting us to stop and turn around. Stop walking deeper and deeper into the wilderness with your head down, mumbling a Canadian apology, saying, sorry, sorry. When a pedestrian is doing that, when that driver raises his hand, they have no intention of turning around. They're going exactly where they want to go. Maybe you've been that person, just as I have. But God is saying to us, return Turn around. Come back. Turn away from your sin. Turn towards God. If repentance is turning away, then faith is turning to. Turning away and turning to, they are the same thing. They're two sides of the same action. All faith is repentant. All repentance is faith-filled. This call to repentance is not individual. 
when God, through John, preaches repent, that verb in the Greek is plural. It's all of you repent. Repent y'all, not repent you. All the key verbs in John's exhortations are plural. John is literally preaching to a huge crowd in the middle of the desert. He isn't calling out a solitary uh, sinner to shame anybody. He's inviting the people to turn to God. God doesn't want us to be alone with our guilt and our apologies. He wants us all to return to him as his children. Every call of repentance is a collective call. The return of the people must also include a return to righteousness, the restoration of justice. Isaiah and the prophets preached against the kings and the religious leaders of Israel, exposing their injustice, their hypocrisy, their selfishness, just as John does to the Pharisees and Sadducees today. Society must turn and repent. And we can't turn to God with our own power. Standing at the border of the promised land, just before the people finally leave the wilderness and enter the land that God has promised them, Moses reminds them in Deuteronomy 1 that in the wilderness you have seen how the Lord your God has carried you as a man carries his son all the way. Our way out of the wilderness is not a road we pave for ourselves. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. It is his path, not our path. He is coming to us. Christ doesn't say, turn around, do better, work your way towards me. He says, turn. I am coming. I will carry you. I will deliver you from your wilderness. And Christ has already come. He has completed his work on the cross. Judgment is coming. The axe is laid at the root. The winnowing fork is in his hand. But everything we need has already been given to us in Christ. Augustine summarized John's message this way. Let us not resist his first coming, that we may not tremble at his second. Turn around. Turn to God in faith. Receive his grace. God will carry us out. He will carry us to something new and infinitely better that we can ask or imagine. This call to turn is for all of us. It's a call for me. As I prayed and reflected over the meaning of repentance, about turning to my heavenly father, I was reminded naturally of my earthly father and about myself as a father. My human father is a hardworking man with integrity. He tried his best to provide for his family. He's also a very demanding man. He always tried to project strength, never showing any weakness or emotion. No matter what he felt inside, he has never ever apologized 
to me or to my brother, not even once. This hurt and frustrated me growing up. And when I became a father, I resolved that I was going to do better. When I lose my temper with my children, I try to apologize, ideally right away, or at least before I tuck them into bed. I apologize, and while I did not always admit this to myself, I felt good about it because I was doing a better job than my father. But I wasn't doing a better job. On its own, apologizing isn't turning to God. My children don't need me to apologize, feel guilty, say sorry, and keep going into the wilderness. They need me to turn around and stop. God doesn't want us to stay in our darkness and wilderness feeling apologetic and guilty. He's asking us to turn. He has come. He carries us out. But I can't return on my own. It's not my path. I can't do it by reading parenting books. I can't, but God can. Our text reminds us that God delivers us, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I'm a parent in progress. I need correction, I need redirection all the time. Ironically, just yesterday, while editing my sermon, I lost my temper at my kids again, all three of them, one after another. So I can't. I can't, but God can. He carries me out of this wilderness. God doesn't carry me on my own either. He carries me with my wife, with my children, with my family, with my friends, with my entire community of faith. He carries the whole church, you and me. God carries us all out together, brothers and sisters, co-heirs, children in the household of God. So John reminds us that God has come. He is coming again. John, the worst party guest ever, is actually inviting us to a party. It's not some Christmas party. John doesn't say, for unto us a child is born. I love Handel's Messiah at Christmas time, but that's not John's message. John says, there's a party that literally will end all parties. The party at the end of all history. The Bible talks about this party over and over and over again. It's the wedding feast of Christ and his bride, the church, his people, us. It's the full restoration of all creation. Isaiah prophesies, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of God shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it again. This is the transformation of all creation. The world will be made new. The first heaven and the first earth will fade away. 
and the new heaven and the new earth will emerge. The entire wilderness of humanity and creation will be remade. This is the party in the new Jerusalem of the book of Revelation. We will dwell with God. We will be his people. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. John the Baptist, that stubborn, single-minded man with a one-track message, is calling us to turn and wait in hope and eager expectation of a blowout party. Advent begins in the wilderness, but it ends in anticipation of an eternal banquet that lasts forever and ever. Maybe we had John the Baptist wrong all along. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services. 